Tim, episode 40 of the Stats of Nerd podcast is here. 40, we're over the hill. The Stats of Nerd podcast is now older than you and me. It's old enough to buy a house, finish paying off his college loan, go to those risque dance clubs that sell awesome wings, hashtag Magic City. Um, we've done a lot of things in these 40 episodes. And this episode is momentous because it's the 40th episode. It's not momentous because we're finished the first week of the playoffs and there's a lot more teams that are watching football from home. <sighs> well, my beloved Seattle Seahawks. It's going to be fun to go through this one with you. Anyways, uh, in our cups this week, a mixed culture ale from Norman, Oklahoma, and an imperial stout from wherever you must have stock in. North Haven, Connecticut. <laughs> this one, thankfully, this one is actually from the brewery in North Haven, um, not the same place as all, all the others. But yeah, a likely excuse. Yeah, uh, everyone finds stats the matter podcast wherever you get your podcast: Spotify, Google, Apple, Stitcher. Follow us on Instagram at Stats the Matter and on Twitter at Stat Podcast. Hashtag New Year, New Me, 2021, baby. Let's go. Let's go. That's completely false. Though. New Year, not a new thing. 100% not good. <laughs> same old, same old. Yeah, same old, same old. All right, fantastic. We get into this uh, this round of beers, round of these games here. Uh, I, I went golfing the other day. Okay, now I'm no Bryson DeChambeau. I'm definitely not Tiger Woods off the tee. But I've been golfing a few times. And by a few, I mean like five. Shout out to the wife. Got me a set of golf clubs for Christmas. And she's, you know, she made a joke like, oh, great. You're never going to use these. I said, false. I just, I took a random Monday off. It was, it was going to be 40, 43 to 47 degrees. Perfect. golf with. That's what I thought. I, look, I'm no Bryce DeChambeau. I'm not Tiger Woods off the tee. But I did think that I would be a little bit better um, than what happened. I, I won't go into all the, the whole by whole detail for you. Let's just say par 70. Okay. And I shot 56 over, <laughs> which is, which is super bad. Cause if like when, when I made the seat time, like I, I was walking, right. Um, and I got paired up with someone else, socially distanced and everything. And right off the tee, I'm just going to get after it. And I just put the top of the ball and it just goes right into the water hazard, like off the tee box, like 10 yards off the tee box. Super embarrassed. Then I get after the second one. It actually goes about 200 yards. I'm thinking pretty good. Uh, and it went all downhill from there. Like, I think I shot 11 on the first one. <laughs> and then like an eight, a six, a five, a five. I actually made par on two par fours, which is crazy. Because they were surrounded by an average of seven, nine, five, seven, nine, five, eight, a couple of 11s. <laughs> there were a couple where I'm, I'm pretty sure the handicap rule was like, just don't even bother anymore. But anyway, shout out to my wife, got the golf clubs, put them into good use. Um, you said a few episodes back, you're like, oh man, I, I couldn't be Tiger Woods and play you know, multiple rounds of golf, like in back-to-back days. Like I, I do 18 and I need like a nap. I, I walked 18 with like one of those little hand carts. Uh, I came home and I was like, yo, I need a nap. You <laughs> <laughs> add a few beers. Like I, I'm at the point golfing and I know I'm going to get shamed by a lot of our, our, our golf fans on here but i actually don't like to drink much anymore while i'm uh while i'm golfing mostly because uh, i can see like the improvements that are being made in my game and every time you have a couple drinks you kind of backstep that a little bit because there's this like threshold where you're feeling loose enough and like one more beer and it's all just downhill from there so i hear you i also like to 
if I'm not, it, it was 10 o'clock in the morning. So like I could have had a few beers, but I chose not to. Yeah. I also like to, uh, go against the grain and carry my bag rather than, uh, push the cart. If I'm not in a cart driving, I prefer to throw it on my back and carry it all 18 holes as a type of workout. So I'm all in. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to get this cap off this mixed culture out here. It's like giving me a little bit of an issue. So, ah, there we go. All right, cool. Spray everywhere for sure. Yeah, no, Dex, it didn't actually happen. Okay. So, this is uh, Magic Jar by American Solera, Norman, Oklahoma. Actually, no, it's, it's Prairie. It's Norman, Oklahoma. Oh, damn, I got to redo this one. Anyways, mixed culture ale. <laughs> uh, a whole whopping 5%, 12.7. Okay. Super going to be funky off the nose, I'm thinking. It's foaming up like crazy. Sometimes you see those beers like on the shelf of the bottle shop and you're like, you know what? I think I'm going to do something like that. And oh, yeah. I'm a big fan of Wild Dales. Real yeah. big fan. I'm uh, even got a little sediment at the bottom, too. So I, uh, I'm on the fence with it, it. It depends. Some of them come out a little too tart, a little too tangy for my liking, but, uh, yeah, hit or miss. Hit or miss. I like I like a good one. Or like a good table beer. Table beers are yeah, oh yeah. kind of the same way. Uh Limpetit Prince by Jester King. It's mm-hmm. like two and a half percent table beer. It's amazing. Absolutely fantastic. Hope to have that on the podcast for today. Because you have a whole one. It's like 30 ounces yeah. of beer, but you you get like negative. It's like, it's like drinking water. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> Here we go. Okay. Low tangy, low sour. I think it might be maybe towards like the end of its life because like it's a little water in the back end. Wasn't exactly a huge fan of it. I, I like the tart that's uh, up at the front, but then it, it just really kind of disappears a little too quickly for my liking the back end. So I'm going to do this. Get ready. It's a good thing you're sitting down. Don't give us like a 3-3. Three, three. Mm. Sam, Sam, no. had, uh, Sam has had an awakening. Uh, with his scoring <laughs> system that we won't bother to get into because we don't have enough time. But Sam has been perusing reviews online and now understands the frustration of his shitty ass rating system. So now we know. <laughs> yeah, I had to go look for refrigerators. All the 5.0 reviews are like, oh, this is the best fridge ever. I love its color or how cold it gets. Like, yes, that's what refrigerators do. And then all the three star reviews are like, okay, doesn't fit my shelf. Or doesn't keep my food as cold as I needed to, or you know, there's a wrong, there's a problem with the coils. Like these are things I need to know. Like you got to stay looking at the threes and the two star reviews. That's where you learn the most. Yeah, 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 yeah. <clears throat> All right, I'm gonna crack into this bad boy. Um, so this beer, even though it's out of New Haven, it's not brewed by twelve uh, percent. It it is distributed by them. Uh, the the brewery just also happens to be in New Haven. This one's a collaboration. Between Fat Orange Cat, which I had on a couple episodes ago, and Skygazer, which is a big up and coming brewery. I say up and coming, they've been around for a little while, but they're one that sells out every time they release a can. So um, I haven't had any. I know their IPAs are big. I know they do a couple uh, sours. Some, uh, some of their more tart beers are huge, huge sellers. They have a couple, I think they're called watercolors. That sell out really quickly, and I see them online all the time. Uh, so this one I'm actually 
curious about. Um, this one is an Imperial Stout. It's, or I'm sorry, it's an Imperial Milk Stout with banana, cocoa nibs, and marshmallows. So it's going to be obviously a little bit sweeter, but it's 10%. Uh, I like both of these. I, I like Fat Orange Cat. I've heard nothing about nothing but good things uh, about Skygazer. So today deserved a good beer. I'm hoping this is that good beer. So let's give it a go. Wow, it smells like a dessert coming out of the can, and it is. It is it is dark. It is dark and it is not at all see-through. That's a rim of like three or four. Oh. It smells like what is it, banana cream pie? Where you got like the chocolate pudding with like whipped cream on top of like a crust. Banana cream pie doesn't have chocolate in it. Or maybe you also put raisins in your potato salad, Karen. I don't really know how you come up with that. Oh, wow. Wow. That. God damn. Um, wow. I Hold on. <laughs> Another. Oh, one sip. We do the one sip thing, Tim. Come on now. I, 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 already, I already know what I'm going. I just needed that one for an appreciation. Um, okay. Here it goes. Oh, right two, one, five. Oh, this one might be higher. Uh, so, I like my stouts in a lot of different ways. I like them bitter, coffee-flavored, dark porters. Love that. I also have a time and a place for a sweeter adjunct-style stout. <clears throat> you all know who I'm a big fan of. That's pretty much all of their brews are sweet over the top adjunct stouts the cinnamon buns the uh, uh chocolate milk all of that so while i do love a good coffee stout a good milk stout that is you know dark and bitter um this thing is fucking amazing uh you get bananas right off the bat you get it follows up with the chocolate like perfect it's dessert in a glass now Sometimes when you get these really sweet beers, you're like, nah, I don't know if I could drink more than one. I could sit down and just house all four of these. No problem. No problem. What's the ABV? 10%. So I wouldn't suggest oh, it. You could. Yeah. No, I would suggest it if you were uh, <laughs> man enough, but it doesn't sound like you are. That is, wow. So I, I thought it was going to be, sometimes with, if you drink enough craft beer, you become a little bit of a snob to where you look at beers and you can kind of guess right off the bat. A little bit? Yeah. <laughs> a little bit? Like, you can guess right off the bat, like, what you're going to expect. Like, when I open this one, for for example, I, I won't throw the brewery under the bus, but I got a, a barrel-aged stout this weekend that some of my buddies recommended who aren't really big into, not as big into beer as I am. Swore by it, thought it was great. As soon as I picked up the bottle, you're like, okay, it's probably okay, but I have an idea of what this is going to be. And this is exactly what it was. It was kind of like a slightly watered down uh, stout aged in a local distillery barrel that the barrel tasted very new 
So it, it was like an, a whiskey that didn't have enough time to age and a barrel that didn't. And I knew like right out the bat, this is sort of what I expected coming out of it. So when I, when I tasted it and sort of hit it, I wasn't blown away, but I, I also wasn't disappointed. Like I knew what to expect. This, I went in the kind of expecting the same thing. I know Fat Orange Cat does a great job. The rumors and the, the reputation of Skygazer is very good. So I tried to sort of quell my expectations and say this is going to be a perfectly like mediocre to decent stout because it's got a lot of crazy ingredients. This thing is perfectly balanced and so smooth. This is the best stout I've ever had in Connecticut. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Um, this moves up the list. Man. Um, I'm, I'm going to give this one like a 4.6. Like this thing is... Okay. All right. Yeah, this is... Um, this thing is no... This is no joke. Like I want to go grab some of these and let them chill out for a little bit just because I don't know if this is like a one-off or how often they're going to make these things but holy shit man this is that might be one of the best like non-IPA Pilsner beers I've had so far in Connecticut that's amazing wow wow all right I don't really like how you just started 2021 by just going oh, I see your bullshit rating them and I'm going to go ahead and throw my own bullshit on top of it I, but you know what uh, I may. Whatever. I may. Yeah, my body's ready. I'm here for it. I may. I may have to try and like get some of these to send to you. It literally. It is that good. It is. I'm. I'm. <laughs> Angry Chair is one I haven't had a bad beer from. This is better than some of the Angry Chair beers that I've. There it is for those folks with the stats yeah, yeah. <laughs> bingo card. Go ahead and put the space on. But that's the stout. That's the stout benchmark, though. Like, there's no way around it. That's the stout for me. That's the stout benchmark. Like, everyone has IPA yeah. benchmarks, and you measure all of your beers to that benchmark. That's just what stouts are. So, I'll continue to compare them to there. This is better than some Angry Chair stouts I've had, and I've never had a bad Angry Stout, uh, Angry Chair stout before. So, damn, I am thoroughly impressed by this. Like, I haven't been on Untapped in a little while. I'm going to go on just to give this a rating. Like, that's how good it is. You know. You know, it's even more bullshit about you're saying my bullshit rating system is bullshit. The fact that I tag you in all of these pod beers that I put in, it's bullshit. You ain't never toasted one of them, nor tag me in a pod beer post. That's bullshit. I know. I know. I'm, I'm going to, there's going to be a day when there's going to be like 500 new check-ins from Tim Crow. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then there's going to be a wellness check to come make sure that I'm not dead. Oh, yeah. I did that one time on a, there was a bachelor party I went to, uh, in Detroit, Michigan. And uh, I, I, I was real honest. I checked in a certain number of beers and the app was like, Hey, you've earned a new badge for having this amount of beers within 24 hours. And it was like, please be careful. (laughs) I only only earned the badge once, but uh, that was good. Okay. Nice. Those are the beers we're drinking this week. Hopefully you find them somewhere nearest to you. Let's get into the playoff football. We had super wild card Sunday. Three games on Saturday, three games on Sunday. Start off with the Colts and the Bills. I said Bills by 14. As I'm wont to do in some of these episodes, I start off with a big fat L. Ha, not this week, though. I got the prediction kind of right. The Bills did win, which is a huge win because this is the Bills' first playoff win in 25 years. 
that's insane. Like for a franchise that has always wanted to make it, excuse me, back from like Jim Kelly era, going to those four Super Bowls, not winning a single one. This is just massive. I got I got Bill's friends uh, who are friends. Shout out to them. Man, I'm going to shoot straight here. This game looked like a little dark for Colts fans going into the fourth quarter. The Bills were rolling after they, they, they came out a little slow. They started getting going. They started rolling that momentum. And then the Colts stubbornly did not want to go away. And I thought they were going to find a way to actually come back and make this game, as I like to say, interessante. Um, they ended up losing the game 27-24. One of the wildest was his knee down plays on which they said converted, which, I mean, if you're a Bills fan, you thought, mm, yeah, he might have been down by contact, but he also kind of got up and kept running and then lost control of the ball, which should have been a fumble, so we should have recovered. But that fourth and 10 that they converted led to a Hail Mary on fourth and 11, which Rivers couldn't even get the ball to the end zone, so it was for not. Anyways, this is probably one of the only playoff games you're going to look at it and say, Man, I really feel bad for the Colts. Like they played their heart out. And I know that like that phrase has kind of a bad connotation with, with fans. Like it's a consolation prize. I don't care if you played your heart out. Like you're supposed to play to win the game. The Colts did everything they possibly could in this game. Um, they just forgot that in order to slow down the Bills, you have to beat Josh Allen as the fun digs, of which they did neither. Josh Allen, 324 passing yards, two passing touchdowns, zero interceptions, zero fumbles lost, and added another rushing touchdown on the ground. Now he had two sacks, but those two sacks clearly didn't stop the Bills from getting going. And it got to a point where even when the Colts were beginning to come back, the Bills still, I'm not going to say they played prevent, but the Bills still had enough of a thumb on the Colts to keep them, you know, kind of in line. If you're a Phillip Rivers fan, this is exactly what you wanted. Two passing touchdowns, no interceptions, 300 passing yards. You have a run game that both Naheem Hines and Jonathan Taylor had over 70 yards. You were dinking and dunking, and this is insane. Was it National Tight Ends Day this past week? I don't know. Mo Alleycox, Trey Burton, and Jack Doyle had half, nearly half of the total receiving yards for the Colts, 141 out of 304, and both of the touchdowns that Phillip Rivers threw. It was almost like the Colts said, okay, Buffalo, we see you, but we have this thing called the tight end, and it's a revolutionary position in our eyes, so we're just going to go ahead and keep throwing these sides to sides of the field all day. And it almost worked. But you go for it, two point, you fail to convert. You're just throwing these dangerous type throws. And all Buffalo had to do was just keep the momentum going. And that's, that's kind of what they did. I was surprised about one thing in this game. Not really the, the knee was down, whether or not he had control of the ball. Jacoby Brissett, one rush for zero yards. Okay. I understand that, like, the hype around Jacoby Brissett when he left New England and went to the Colts and played a couple games, like, he looked serviceable. Like, you mean to tell me that he's learned nothing from Phillip Rivers that you can't throw a couple wildcat formations out there and you can't try and keep the Bills honest? It just didn't sit well with me the entire game. I just sort of felt like the Colts were playing conservative. And I felt like they believed that they had a chance to take that game to OT, which they probably did. But they just, they got too cute. You can't be relying on fourth down conversions in the last three minutes to win a game. Not against a team like the Buffalo Bills, who, I mean, Stephon Diggs had his way with your defense. Everyone else did, but he did. So it made sense for you to try and slow down that attack. It just didn't occur. Um, I, I have to wonder what's the future for the Colts. Rivers, maybe he comes back next year. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe they try and trade for a quarterback. I know there's a lot of rumblings 
you know, about, you know, quarterbacks who may or not be traded. They're not going to have a high draft pick to really kind of go get one of the new ones. So, I mean, this game showed one thing. The Colts have a ceiling. And that's unfortunate. If you're a Colts fan, you don't want to hear that. Phillip Rivers came in and he elevated the type of play that you had from your backup quarterbacks. And that's fantastic. He got you to a different tier. But that tier, along with your defense, which was really good for the majority of the season, is not enough to get you to the next level when you run into teams like the, the Bills, who are a buzzsaw right now. So mm-hmm. I suspect there will be a new sheriff in town next year for Indianapolis. I'm not really sure who it's going to be. I think the team will look a little different. But I, I have to hand it to Frank Wright to turn that team around. Josh McDaniels, your heart out. You're probably looking at that team being like, oh, I probably could have done that. <laughs> Potentially. I mean, he had his chance in Denver. Saw how that went. So. <clears throat> Sorry, Adam Gase. Look how that turned out. Ooh. Ooh. Rivers did go into this game 4 0 in wildcard games, too. So, like, all the stats they don't matter were in his favor. Yeah. Let's talk about another stat that doesn't matter because Seattle is 5 0 in playoff games at home. But, um, ooh, I bet that one didn't work well, did it, Tim? <laughs> No, 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 no. I just, uh, I'm just going to say one thing. Yeah. And I, won't, I won't pontificate. I won't take long. Two things really irked me about this game. Yep. You play this. You play the Rams twice a year, mm-hmm. every single year. Russell Wilson's been in the league for almost a decade now. Twenty times you play this team, and this team has your number. You know it. This is not the team you wanted to see. You absolutely want to see the Arizona Cardinals. They were injured. Who were reeling, and instead. You get a Rams team and you just go, oh, we got this. The backup quarterback. Oh, Jared Goff's broke his, his throwing thumb. He's fine. As if Brockers and Aaron Donald just aren't in the backfield still. Don't have you know, all the numbers and all the stats. Uh, second thing, after the game, a one Russell Carrington Wilson said in a, I would say, dejected uh, looking postgame conference that I'm a winner. I always see myself as a winner. I'm always going to be a winner. We will get into. Teams like, you know, seasons on another episode of this podcast. I have gone through the, the various five stages of grief. It took me a lot less time to get through them than the, uh, than the previous Arizona Cardinals lost it. But I will say this. If you had the choice as a fan to win 12 games, make the Super Bowl, or win 10 or 11 games and go out in the playoffs every year, most teams would probably tell you, I would rather want to peak 12, 13 wins, get to the Super Bowl, and then we can, we can sort of rebuild the machine. And I feel and I fear that what's happening in Seattle is that we're going to see this team win 10, 11, 12 games a year, and they're just poised to just go out. I mean, every year that the, the president has been the president since 2016, they have not made it past the divisional round. They have a losing record now in the, in, you know, the playoffs. It's just... Uh, okay. I'm done. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, man. Uh, oof, oof. It's really all you can say about this game. Uh, sorry, Sam. It just did not pan out at all like I thought it was going to. Um, I've been sort of down on the Rams all season, saying that they tend to be up and down week to week. They seem to have to refine themselves in their identity every game. And that they didn't live up to what their record showed. And that is not at all what happened this week. Uh, although both games I'm, I'm going to talk about this week are, are strange games because 
we are all we always talk about how explosive Seattle's offense is, but how much their defense tends to struggle. And in this game, it it should have been one of those that set up for a blowout on one side or the other because I I think the world basically wrote the Rams off completely when they announced that John Wolford was getting the start. When he got in, he was finding some early success in the few plays he was in there, and then he got his head almost ripped off, uh, and they put Goff in, uh, who has like 12 pins in his thumb because uh, he just had surgery on it. Didn't really boost anyone's expectations or confidence in what this game was going to be because you had Russ and the Seahawks on the other side of the ball. But in order to beat the Seahawks, it only took nine completions from Jared Goff to get it done. Nine. That's it. Uh, It was like right off the bat. He just didn't look right. He only attempted... 20 passes in all. Uh, He only had 155 yards. He did have a passing touchdown. He didn't throw any picks, but this one was 100% the Cam Akers show. That dude stepped up and made plays whenever they needed a big play. It was, he wasn't, you know, like Tyreek Hill or, you know, some of the explosive plays we've seen from other players throughout the, the season. He had 131 yards on the ground, but the yardage he was getting uh, after contact and from the line of scrimmage were insane. He had a 20 yard run at one point uh, helped get him into like good field position and helped keep drives alive. That kind of started to sputter. Uh, He also had two receptions as well. Uh, He totaled 46 total yards and receptions. And one of those receptions was for 45 yards. So he was just chewing up time. He was chewing up yards. He was just helping to just continue to wear down a Seattle defense that we've said has been sort of their glaring fault all season. Um, between him and the Rams defense, it just looked like a rough outing for Seattle in general. Russ, especially. Uh he came out of the gate this season and looked like he was ready to just set the world on fire. He was going to be an easy candidate for MVP. If you looked at this game, he looked like he was not to say showing his age, but he looked like he was a little bit lost. He only completed 11 passes. He had five sacks, the interception and turnover bug reared its ugly head again. He had one official interception. There was a couple that were close calls. Uh, three. At least three there were that the Rams dropped. That that dropped. One of them you probably could have called an interception because it looked like he had the hand underneath of it, but whatever. Um, that one pick he did give was a 42-yard return for a touchdown. Uh, and if you look at the game, they lost this game by 10 points. So... Would have kept him in field goal position had they marched down and at least scored a, a field goal out of it. We may have had, you know, an overtime game or, or uh, we may have had an overtime game or just a different outcome altogether. Uh, so this one, this one was, this one was really tough. It, it was tough for multiple reasons. You saw him out there scrambling. 
You saw the Rams defense all over him. They didn't blitz that often. They just were able to keep the pressure on. They were able to push and just have their way with the Seattle offensive line. Um, there should have been some game management. There should have been some some changes that were made. After the game, the Seahawks ended up parting ways with Brian Schottenheimer, their offensive coordinator, just, and they cited philosophical differences. And this is after Pete Carroll came out and said he expected everyone to return next season. But that's also after after he said he expected them to run the ball more. So clearly Wilson was having issues moving the ball around. And the turnover bug that's plagued them all season came back at the worst time. Schottenheimer to me seems like a move to kind of shake things up. If nothing else, a little bit of a scapegoat. If I were the Seahawks, it might be time to start looking at a little deeper parts of the team and maybe at Pete himself and wonder if, okay, is this the players? Is it the coordinators? Or maybe we've had an, we've had a couple of years of this. Is it the coaching now? Has that shiny new, has the success kind of blinded a little bit of some of what's going on? I mean, the perennial playoff contenders – they tend to make it. They lose a lot more playoff games than most people get to play. So it's really hard to look and, and argue against that. But, I mean, look at what Philly did. Like, the shine clearly wears off incredibly quick. So, yeah, I don't want to say, yeah, he's the reason or, yeah, it's time to go. But you start looking at some of the consistencies in the shortcomings that they've had over the years. There's one big one. Well, technically, there's two big ones. There's Russ and there's Pete. So then you got to start wondering, is it one of those two guys? Now, if we compare what Russ did all season, not in the first, let's call it, 10 games, we look at the entire season and we start comparing it to some other quarterbacks who may have had some up and downs this season. How many of those guys got benched? How many of those guys got pulled and had replacements come in? How many of those guys are we looking at as like failures on the season? Some of those interceptions, some of those numbers aren't that drastically different as an average than some of the other guys, especially in the second half of the season. You can't blame an offensive coordinator for turnovers. You can't blame an offensive coordinator for fumbles either. That was, they gave up a fumble that allowed, uh, that allowed the Rams to go up 30 to 13 in what was just a bad play in general. He could have just yeah. down the ball or let it go. So to me, it feels a little bit like Schottenheimer's an out like, okay, we're making changes. I would love to hear what some of those philosophical differences were. You're the coach. If you feel like you should be running the ball more, you go over to your coordinator and say, Hey, it's time to run the ball more. Clearly, Russ isn't getting the job done. We saw with Tua what happened. We saw with Jalen Hurts what happened. We saw all yeah, but those, Russ. yeah. You, you can't. I mean, the, Russ is a guy who's been in the league a while now, right? And sure, this this is something that's happened. You know, he's had these offensive coordinators. They're there for a few years, and then usually between two and three, like whatever, the shine begins to wear off. Like you said, um, Sean Heimer obviously helped the Seahawks set a lot of records. Okay. Russell had a career year in passing touchdowns. And I mean, that's, that says something. Uh, the, the ability to zig when the rest of the league is zagging is the problem. And then when Pete Carroll says after this game that the fourth and one call, which they were going to go for when they blew a timeout, 
earlier because they couldn't get the play clock off in time, which has been a systemic problem for them. And then he's saying after the game, I didn't agree with the play call. So as coach, you know what I mean? Like I told Shoddy, like we're going with a different way. And then you get a delay a game. So it's, it's fourth and six and you punt. Yeah. Like those are things that have to be fixed. This is a couple seasons now where there's been those game management issues. I don't know necessarily that it's, it's Shoddy. And I mean, look, I think he's, he's got the pedigree. I think he's going to end up on his feet somewhere. Um, I think that Peter Clay Carroll needs to take a look in the mirror. And I think there has to be a solid conversation between all the parties involved. You could say that uh, Brian Schottenheimer and Pete have philosophical differences about how to run the offense. We know that. We know that one of them wants to run the ball, and we know one of them wants to unlock Russell Wilson's talent because he can be a prodigious passer. Somewhere along the way, between all three of those cooks in the kitchen, um, the, the steak was overcooked or it was undercooked. Wh- whatever it is, cooking memes aside, yeah. um, this was not the way. I wanted to no, see and, and, and you like you win the division, you win 12 games, and then you lose to the same team in the division that you split the series with. It's like that's the worst kind of 2020 bullshit. And it's 2021. Yeah, and I mean the failure to recognize Russ just wasn't getting the passing game where it needed to be, whether that's I don't even think it was a case of his guys not getting a position. He missed he missed some crazy yeah. open guys. Yeah, like he had, yeah, and he missed him. Yeah, yeah. So something there was off. Whether that's Wilson, whether that I mean, Wilson's not you know the youngest guy in the league anymore. So you you, I'm gonna pause before I say maybe there's some age and the longevity of the season. He's not as old as Tom Brady. He's like he he still has deep throw like passing ability. Like yeah, there are lots of people who aren't as old as Aaron Rodgers and he's Brady 30, 32, 33 years old. Come on, he's not that old. That's why I say I'm gonna stop. But what it makes me wonder is if in a season where he is literally having to carry the team because the defense can't stop plays, if that level of wear and tear. I mean, clearly, you can't look at him this this weekend and say like that's an all star. That's the MVP of the league. The man completed eleven passes. He was also was- tossed to the ground about twenty times, five of them for sacks. He's been top five in sacks the last like three seasons. At some yeah. point, like you know what I mean, like you're you're going to get gun shy behind a line that cannot stop sure. anyone from coming through it. Sure, but like if we look at guys like uh, Daniels, for example, who gets sacked a lot. We're not saying it's his offensive line. We're saying he's not getting the ball out fast enough. He's not recognizing plays fast enough. He's not getting through his reads fast enough. So he's holding on the ball fast enough. So, like, there's a there's a flip side to every one of these arguments. I think at some point, like it or not, if they continue to have short postseasons or fail to make the postseason, when you're looking at a team, you've already said they're they're swapping out offensive coordinators. Okay, that's clearly not fixing the problem every single year. The only two pieces that are consistent in that team are Pete and Russ. Like, at what point do you have to look at one of those two and say, okay, something isn't matching up. Where do you make the change? I would lean more towards making a change at the head coaching position than I would Russ, because Russ, I think, has a lot of mileage left on his tires. But at some point, you got to look and say, okay, something isn't meshing here. We're not having the level of success we should. Maybe the defensive coordinator needs to be taken a look at because their defense was atrocious. Mm-hmm. I was surprised that the, that the O coordinator went and the D coordinator did. 
it's uh. it I mean it's we just hit the postseason, so there's there's a good chance that that still could happen. You're well, you want out. to talk about philosophical differences. I think a defensive-minded head coach might have some words for his coordinator letting uh, the league score like an average of 35 points on the team week in and week out. That would be philosophical differences to me. Um, yeah, and that's the, that's the thing for me. When I look at this and your team is putting up like 30 points a game, 40 points a game, I don't think to myself, oh, it's the offensive coordinator. He's not controlling whether or not Russ is throwing picks. Like, that is not on him. That's your quarterback failing to read or see a defensive player. Like, the the pick six he threw this this weekend was, like, bad. Awesome. There, was, there was no excuse for it. He literally threw it right at the guy. I've like, seen was- that play three times, and I can tell you the other games I watched it in, and I can tell you when I saw that pass this weekend, I saw the offensive formation, and I, I watched the DB jump the route. I knew he was going back for six. And I, I jumped yeah. up and then I sat down and I just put my head in my hands. I saw that that pick six against the Bears two years ago, and I saw it against the Chargers two years ago. Screen passes to wideouts when you're when you're acting to get DK Metcalf open and you put Freddie Swain, your fourth or fifth white wide receiver, to set the block is no different than when you have Malcolm Butler set the pick or Jermaine Kerr set the pick so Malcolm Butler can catch not Malcolm Butler, well, he did. So you can have uh, he picked uh, and like like that. I, I never want to see that screen pass again. I never want to see that screen pass again. Take it out of the playbook. It uh yeah yeah. So I mean, I don't know. I you, I know you're a fan telling you that maybe someone has to at some point take a look at Russ and see what's going on. Probably stings a little bit. We'll we'll chat again in a few months and see if maybe you feel the same way because again. I think the offensive coordinator was doing his job all season. They were able to put up a ton of points. Um, In the first part of the team, they were. Then they yeah. fizzled out in the if back end. If you're Team Pete, then you got to be against Team Russ, I think. If you're Team Russ, you got to take a look maybe at Pete. And then everyone needs to take a look at the defensive coordinator and start asking questions whether or not it's the personnel or the planner. But ultimately, all of that falls underneath the coach who's who's coming up short every season. So they got some soul searching to do, and I don't think Schottenheimer was it. He was one of the only shining points of this team for the first half of the season other than Russ, and then everything just seemed to start faltering. After that first loss, everything kind of got a little a little dodgy. But It did. You know, one, one thing I will say is, too, you know, I said, like, I fear, like, the team is going to, Enter the stretch where they're going to win ten or eleven or twelve games and and lose the playoffs. Like a lot of people forget that Aaron Rodgers had a nice big slump there, and then when Matt Lafleur came to the organization, there was all this talk. Oh, how is this new head coach, you know, going to get along with Rodgers? And Rodgers has said to Lafleur's credit that he came in and he said, "Look, we have a vision. We're going to stick by it. And look what's happened, right?" So yeah. there there has to be accountability in the football team. There there just does. I, I'm I'm going to ring the bell for Russ all day long, but I was irritated with the whole, I'm a winner. I've always been a winner. I was irritated with, uh, I've never received an MVP vote. And halfway through the season, you start regressing. Like, if Russ practices, you know, non-positive, non-negative thinking, neutral thinking, and go at it and, and go shred defenses. Don't lose to a team that you play twice. Just Yeah. So, just for, just for narrative stat purposes, they don't matter. Yeah. 
Russ finished the season tied with Jared Goff and Kirk Cousins in interceptions, and the only two uh, had more were Carson Wentz and Drew Locke, which obviously that's not a, a, a complete picture because his completion percentage was like sixth in the league. So it's, I don't know, it, I mean, it's just, it's tough. It's really tough. Um, yeah. They got to they gotta figure it out. I don't know if he needs to. I don't well, know. There was something know. a few years ago, right? Earl Thomas was um, projected to come back. And Pete Carroll said something in, in one of the postseason interviews that really kind of you know tickled my fancy. He said, I want to put Russ and Earl through a defensive master class. And, of course, everything fizzled out with, with Earl there, the team, and he went to Baltimore. We all know how that ended up. He's still a free agent. So Pete was asked later on, like, did you ever have that, uh, that conversation with Earl and Russ about the, the defensive master class? I think it was Brock Heward from uh, ESPN 710. And they were like, no, we didn't. I understand that setting the, the plays and installing and everything is, is important. I need there to be, and I, I think there will be, I need there to be some late nights, early mornings in the facility. I need you to ball hawk and watch as much film. I need you to start being, even though you're a neutral thought, that's cool. Be aggressive, be high energy in practice. And I need the Seahawks to start playing like they did in 2011, 2012, and 2013, when everyone talked shit on them and they were so upset at the world. And they just decided we're going to impose our will on you every single week. Now it's this raw, raw stuff. And like, I hate to say it, but like, Sherman, he made these comments when he left a couple of years ago that the message was stale, that um, the team is just not the same anymore. It's very hard to look back upon that divorce now and not realize that one side of it was foretelling the future a little bit. Very, very tough. Also, quick shout out because we didn't give it any attention this episode and I 100% should have. Ramsey looked like vintage Ramsey oh, yeah. out there. At this game, he was just a monster. I was one of those that was never like a big Ramsey guy. I thought he kind of talked a little too much, but that dude was all over the place. He threw all himself over. at DK Metcalf like someone throws himself at someone buying shots at the bar. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, <laughs> he, he was ready. He. He was out there making tackles. He was he brought down Metcalf at one point. When you saw that line up and those two like go at each other, you're like, oh, this isn't gonna go ugly. Because Ramsey's kind of a small dude. Wrapped him up, brought him down, had like almost no yardage. Fifty one yard touchdown, which was you know was cool. Yeah, that was that was some blown coverage. That was a uh you want to it doesn't matter. DK Metcalf, five receptions, ninety six yards, two TDs, still lose the game. Yeah, that happened. So, all right. We spent too much time talking about this game. We're moving on. And I'm opening. I said I was going to do two for to Sam, and I didn't do mm-hmm, it. I'm going to open mm-hmm. another beer here in this one because I'm celebrating, bitches. I got a new job today. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. So real quick, uh, I'm going to pop in a little uh, Easter egg in the middle of this episode. I'm going to open uh, baked apple pie from Decadent. It's a lager with apple puree and cinnamon. I'll give you my review when Sam's done with this. Go ahead, Sam. All right. We sp- I said I wasn't going to talk a lot about the Seahawks, but I'm a liar. I did. I talked too much about the Seahawks. So here's what I will say about the Buccaneers football team. I, we both said that we thought this game was going to be a blowout and that the Washington football team could lose by 21. 
to Sunday night, right? I'm already in my feelings. Um, on the way back from the Seahawks game, I stopped at, uh, at Wegmans. I bought some cupcakes, <laughs> had myself a, a hazy IPA and a couple of cupcakes, tried to eat my feelings. Okay. It was not a good, it was not a good Saturday night for your boy. Uh, and then I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to ask some Ikea furniture. I'm going to put it together. I'll have the Washington football team getting their asses handed to them in the background. That'll be fine. I, I no sooner do I open the boxes and turn the TV on. I'm thinking, where is the bloodbath? Because it was like 18 to nine or something like that. Like it was a lot closer than I thought it was going to be. So then I started saying, I'm going to put this screwdriver down. I'm going to put this tool set down. I'm going to put these pieces against the wall here. I'm going to watch this football game. And what I saw was this guy, Taylor Heineke, who was Dude. taking finals at Old Dominion University a few weeks ago and had to postpone those finals so homeboy could get called up and play in the NFL. He was in the league a couple of years ago. You know, didn't really make it. He was on Carolina's practice squad, didn't stay. Rivera liked him. They brought him back. He played the last two games in relief of Alex Smith in, oh my goodness, 306 passing yards, one touchdown passing, one touchdown rushing, and an interception. For a guy that played in the XFL the last time and didn't get a single start and hasn't played in the NFL in years against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, an actual legit NFL defense, is insane. Absolutely insane. And I, I just... I believed up until about four or five minutes left in this game that the Washington football team was going to upset the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They were not allowing the Buccaneers to run away with it, even though Tom Brady was 381 yards. He had all his passing touchdowns. He got sacked a couple of times because Deron Payne and Montez Sweat are two-thirds of this incredible defensive line, which Washington has set up for the future now. Like, they were giving the Buccaneers fits. And Washington could not get the run game going whatsoever. But that was fine because Taylor Hyatt. Nah, I got you, Kim Sims. Oh, Scary Terry, let's go. Oh, Logan Tom, let's go. Like, the, every time he dropped back to pass, I was like, oh, this is going air ball. Oh, my God, he threw it right to the guy. Oh, my God, that should have been intercepted, but it wasn't. It went right through the DB's hands. Like, fantastic. Now, yeah. he rushed for an eight-yard touchdown, in which so many Bucs players wanted no part of tackling him which I thought was crazy, but he had another 46 yards on the ground. So for a guy to come out and have 352 total yards in two TDs as a guy who has not played meaningful snaps in the NFL season, absolutely amazing way to go Washington football team. I don't think it's going to be a quarterback controversy going forward, but I do think that it's great that you have a guy like Alex Smith who, I mean, he's batting like calf injury. So he didn't play this game. If he comes back next year, he's your star. He's probably the best quarterback. Gives the best chance to win. But you have a guy in Heineke that you could put out there if something happens. And the drop-off in talent is not going to be super far as it would have been with Dwayne Washington. So, like, Dwayne Haskins, who used to be in Washington. That's what I meant. <laughs> so, I mean, good for them. This is the insane thing. The Buccaneers have been, like, equated to, like, Thanos, right? They, like, they just have all of these otherworldly talents. Evans, Antonio Brown, Chris Godwin. Dominican Sue, Levante David, Tom Brady, Leonard Fournette. Like it just keeps going on and on and on. Godwin, Brown, and Evans averaged 18.5 yards per reception in this game. This game should have been an absolute bloodbath. And for the Washington football team to say, we're going to give those big plays up and we're going to hold you to field goals, which they did a ton, they had a, a massive supreme chance to win this game. And wow, 
I mean, I don't know if, if Heineke can replace this kind of effort going forward because we've only seen him for a couple of games, but yep. Rivera absolutely said, we are going to throw the kitchen sink at this team. No regrets. And that's exactly what they did. And we got us a primetime game with the Washington football team. Everyone was deriding this division. Everyone said, what are you talking about, Ron Rivera? The division is wide open. Ron Rivera knew something we did not this season, and we did not buy into the signs, and we should have been paying attention. I don't know that the Washington football team is going to outright win the division next year. Dallas and the Giants, like they, they are great teams. They're just kind of middling right now. They're trying to figure out what they're going to do. I don't think that the Eagles are going to reset next year and just be power players. The Washington football team could easily win the division again next year, which is bananas. This is a team that hasn't done that for like decades. So, like, props to Ron Rivera. What a turnaround. Yeah, but, I mean, let's not get too excited. They were. Let's not get too excited about a guy who threw 300 yards against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, okay. Well, okay, well, he's the, – the, the team finished 7-10. and 10. So, you have a guy who comes in. We've already seen what happens when you put a new guy behind the, the line. And then after, like, four or five games – Let's look at the Cardinals and let's consider what happened there. Like, there's always a little bit of like a. Did the Cardinals make the playoffs though? Did the Cardinals win their division? No, but Henke didn't, uh, or Heineke did not get them into the playoffs. He happened to take the ball when they were already there. So it's it, like Murray looked like he was going to drive that team directly into the playoffs and they ultimately fell out short. But he was another did one. Foles, did Nick Foles provide the spark that brought the Philadelphia? The Eagles to the Super Bowl? No, he didn't. Carson Wentz did the legwork. Foles picked it up and was serviceable for four, five, six games and brought him to the to Valhalla. Right. No, that's I, great coaching, is what I'm saying. Yeah. It's great coaching. Right. But then what happened when Foles moved on to another team? It just wasn't wasn't the same. <laughs> so what I'm saying is, like, this is very much. The, the, I'm I'm rooting for the kid. I thought he played tremendous football. I thought that was one of the more surprising things I saw from the entire weekend just in general that was that made for some of the best football watching of the weekend you had this guy oh, for who, sure like, like we already said was you know uh taking his finals a couple weeks ago he's coming in he's going up against one of the most storied quarterbacks in history the, the dynamic and the 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 difference between those two was so different that to see any sort of success was kind of amazing to watch but do i think that would spent out over an entire season i would hope so but no you just kind of had a guy you didn't know what he was capable did you know he was going to be able to scramble outside the pocket and then run no. for a <laughs> yard touchdown? no you didn't uh there's, nope. there's there's no there was no film on him and even rivera said that during the week he said we kept alex's injury like you know close hold because we didn't want to provide the opportunity like just just peak we know we're going up against a juggernaut and we're going to keep all of our cards close to the vest like i'm yeah. just saying it, it it was it was a great way for the Washington football team to end their season because those fans have they've really been the subject of a lot and you know yeah. Washington football t- fans in this area are very very diehard. Shout out to Nate as well up there in the two hundred seven. He's a diehard fan. That guy he knows everything about that team and, and I'm sure he was extremely happy to see the the amount of points they put up because it, it bodes well for the future of this team. Yeah, I'm in a group thread with Nate, and at the end of it, he he even was able to admit that it was an exciting game. It was fun to watch. Now, the game did have a chance to to get out of hand. Like, uh, Godwin had four drops. He's the first player with four drops in a playoff game since, like, Brian Westbrook <laughs> for, forever ago. 
Uh, <laughs> and, Sorry, and Eagles fan. Yeah, and some of those drops were like for big yards. I want to do a wellness check on Max Kellerman just to kind of see what he's doing right now because he's been the guy all season that's been like Tom Brady. Well, he's been the guy all Tom Brady career that's like, here's the cliff. Here it is. I mean, I I know I'm going to sound like a homer here. Tom Brady doesn't play for New England anymore, so I can't be a homer. That dude looked like almost vintage. Brady, he four hundred passing yards though. Dude, he has picked up this like out of pocket movement that he hadn't had in a long time, where he was picking up uh, pressure coming in and was able to sidestep and move around. And he was nine of thirteen for <laughs> passes that were fifty plus, fifteen plus yards, like all season. The accuracy on 20 yard passes or longer has been like spot on. That man is dropping down. I don't know if it's the Florida weather. He's no, it's Bruce Arians. He's, he's moved. Bruce Arians can draw plays. He's a quarterback whisperer. He's a quarterback whisperer. That dude has oh. worked with like the, the top guys in the league and he can, he just finds way. He loves quarterbacks. He's a quarterback coach. Even though he's a head coach, he's, he's an offensive quarterback coach. that's like dressed in a Kangol hat with, with shades. That's just that's, that's just what he is. No, that's uh, it's a, it's an easy out, but you have to. He's the greatest quarterback of all time. I'm, I'm not saying you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, Bill Belichick. I, I bet would want Tom Brady back right now. That's for sure. You know what I'm saying? Like, how how, how do you feel right now, looking and saying like, oh, hey, what one team just got blown out of their division and looked awful. And here we are. But you can't say he's necessarily a whisperer. He was the coach for Winston for five, six years. That's, I mean, come on. He, he, was, he was willing He was willing to stick and try and help him out. He, he really was. He's also worked with Andrew Luck. He also worked with Big Ben. He also worked with Carson Palmer, all of whom like, just had these career revivals, especially Carson Palmer. So, like, I, Come on. You got to get Palmer, I'll give you, but like Big Ben and guys like Tom Brady who have had extended long-term success. I'm sorry, it doesn't matter who's their coach as we just discovered <laughs> where everybody for the last 19 years was saying Tom Brady was back and then he goes down to Tampa and has success down there. Clearly there's not he's not as much of a system quarterback. So, sure, yeah, you just you just named two guys, Ben Roethlisberger and Tom Brady, who have been through like multiple coaches, multiple offensive coordinators, multiple quarterback coaches, and they're still having success. We're going to talk about Big Ben in a second, who I think set the record for completion. Unbelievable. For, Unbelievable. Completions all time. So those aren't really good benchmarks to talk about a coach and they're whispering because they're having success no matter where they went. And Tom Brady... Uh, this is his first year with Bruce Arians, and we're already talking about him as being the goats. So let's pump the brakes on him. He being was the goat. Wait, anyway, keep going, keep yeah. going, Tim. Keep going. Anyway, anyway, I I, I do want a, a wellness check on Kellerman to see what his thoughts. I haven't looked to see what his thoughts are, or how he feels, or whether or not he's sucking it up and just 
eating crow right now or if he's still dying on that sword saying that Bruce Arians is uh, a quarterback whisperer and it's all Bruce Arians. <laughs> Bruce Arians is out there like ghost and Whoopi Goldberg throwing the ball down <laughs> to uh, Like, like uh, angels in the outfield. <laughs> yeah, it's not actually Tom Brady. It's Bruce in disguise throwing uh, that ball. All right, this, all right. This has been a strange year as a Pats fan to see. Like I've always said, Drew Bledsoe ran like a donkey and Tom Brady wasn't that much better. But this year, he's found this way to move in the pocket. And I'm not going to get too excited because, again, this is a, a team with a losing record that happened to squeak in because their division was terrible. We'll see how they stack up next weekend against the, State, the Saints, who have already proven to have their number. And see, granted, this is a very different-looking Tampa Bay team than it was both times they faced the Saints. The Saints have a banged up. Drew Brees also, so it's not going to be a one-to-one. You got guys coming off the COVID list. We saw how that affected some other teams, so we'll see how it goes. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not ready to put all my money down on on the Buccaneers after beating the Washington football team. So the new well, look, retooled Washington football team that is put some respect right. on the name. Yeah, 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 yeah. Something, right. something like that. Then tell us about Ravens Titans because. Uh... You call this one correct, uh, even though it was a good yeah. against your best judgment. It did, and this one, this one legitimately, this one legitimately hurt my feelings. So I have been, and to nobody's surprise, uh, not only Team Tannehill, the Redemption Tour, all that nonsense I, I, I spouted off all season. Let Tanny throw up. <laughs> No, I never said that. Uh, and then I've I've constantly critiqued Lamar, and and I've said something is off. Well, unfortunately, the 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 team Tannehill and the Titans, uh, which to be fair, we did say on multiple occasions, if you find ways to uh, hold Derrick Henry under 100 yards, you're always going to put yourself in a position to come out with a win. And that is, in this game, exactly what happened. It looked like Derrick Henry was running through molasses the entire game. And it looked very much like the plays they drew up were just him running into his own linemen or people at the line. Like, there didn't seem to be any of that horizontal movement that you tend to see with him where he comes up, jumps the line, and then finds a hole. It just wasn't there. The offensive line wasn't making holes uh the ravens front front line was able to not only close the ends but also completely condense the line so there just weren't many openings he just couldn't get it going i felt like this is one of those games where they should have recognized that early and tried to make changes he had 18 attempts and only had 40 yards like clearly there's a problem there and when that's the only guy you're feeding the ball other than henry uh, they had four other rushing attempts. So of their total 22 rushing attempts, Henry had 18. So clearly that wasn't working. They tried to get the passing game going. That wasn't working. Tannehill only completed 18. He only tried for 26. So this one, to me, seems like two things. Poor game planning coming into it. Just didn't have a proper plan as you were trying to lay this one out. But also... It was so difficult to try and come up with a game plan when you didn't have the ball for very long because Lamar Jackson, the Ravens, depended 
almost completely on the running game. Lamar, again, we both this game and the last game I just covered, both quarterbacks were under 20 completions. This game is no different. Lamar only completed 17 passes for 179 yards. Tannehill completed 18 for 165. So they were insistent on running the ball to get this thing done. And it just it just wasn't there for either one of these teams for the most part. And then the Ravens, as they went in towards the second the the second quarter and into the second half, they really took over. And there's really nobody else who carried that team more than Lamar Jackson. Of the I think they had like 239 yards total. Lamar Jackson had 136 yards. So he passed for 179. He ran for 136. The next closest running back, yardage-wise, was J.K. Dobbins with 43 yards on nine attempts. So this is one of those games where, like, you listen to the analysts. Everyone's continuing to talk about they're finding their way with the running team. They're, they're making it work. No, you're using your quarterback as, like, a third or fourth running back. And it's difficult to try and keep that up as you start going up against some teams who are going to be able to prevent that from happening. They clearly prevented your other running backs from making any moves. They, other than Marquise Brown, the next running, uh, the next receiver had only 41 yards. So it's, this one was a weird game for, for me. I think this was more about Tennessee underperforming than it was the Ravens performing well. Um, Third down conversions were obviously leaning towards uh, Baltimore. Time of possession is the big takeaway. That one was almost like three quarters of the game in the Ravens' hands because they were running the ball so much. They were able to just continuing, can you continue chewing up time? And when you chew up time, you chew up time, you chew up time, you get a couple points, whether it's a field goal or a touchdown, you give the ball over a team who's not able to do anything. Uh, it's not going to matter. You've already st- removed so much time from the clock that they just, they can't keep up. And then after the, the first quarter, Tennessee scored 10 points and they didn't score again. They scored a field goal. Sorry. They, they scored a field goal in the fourth quarter, but it just, this this is one of those games that wasn't super exciting unless you're a, a running fan. Mm-hmm. It was literally hand the ball off, chew up time, repeat. Hand the ball off, chew up time, repeat. Make a couple passes to try and extend some plays. A couple of them broke out. But for me, this raises more questions about Baltimore than it does Tennessee. I think Tennessee is going to be fine. I don't want to say they overachieved. I think they relied a little bit too much on Derrick Henry getting the ball going on the ground, and that tended to open up their game. They need to be a little bit more dynamic because you stop Henry, the whole thing kind of grinds to a halt. There's a bunch of teams who are like that. Um, For me, this raises more questions about the Ravens. The Ravens beat a a decent team in the Titans. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they had a better record than the Titans, but they they beat a, a pretty decent team but you cannot rely on your quarterback to carry the ball that many times and expect to have any sort of long-term success. His arm hasn't looked the same since he came back from the COVID COVID restriction list. Um, I know everybody says, oh, that was Lamar gravitating back towards the mean. He overachieved last season or last two seasons. 
No, I think there's something literally there, whether or not it's just something they're not working on. There's some timing. He's not seeing it as well, but there's clearly a problem. And you can't have a quarterback run that many times the the hits he's going to take, which, by the way, at some point in this conversation at the end of the season, I want to talk about quarterbacks running the ball because the bullshit of giving yourself up versus running the ball makes it so difficult as a defender to have to decide in the heat of the moment to slow up because is a quarterback going to give himself up and I'm going to hit him going to the ground and now yeah. I'm going to get a penalty. Yeah. You saw it a couple times. You actually saw it in the, in the Bucks game. You saw it in a couple games where the quarterback would come out and he would make a slide. So everyone kind of held up. And then the next time they'd run up and you'd see him slow down and the guy would keep going. You're like, what? how the hell are you supposed to decide? Go full speed, go three-quarter speed go 100% and then back off right before you get to him, and then you run the risk of getting burned. So that's 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 a conversation for, for another time. But if you're going to have your quarterback run as a de facto running back as your game plan, plan on not having him around for a long time. Because as we've seen, and I've brought this up a couple times all season, Mobile quarterbacks do not have the same longevity as pocket passers. It's not me making that. That's fact. There aren't many mobile quarterbacks that have the same longevity as guys like Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger, who used to try and move a little bit more and has since dialed that back and has been able to sustain seasons without many injuries. Like you have... If I sit in a pocket, I recognize what's going to happen. I go down when it's not going to when it's not working. Compared to guys like Donovan McNabb, Michael Vick, like some of the pioneers of the running quarterback, look how comparatively short their careers were. Colin Kaepernick, RG three, like you can run down the list and see the amount of mobile quarterbacks who have had success and longevity, and see that it doesn't match up. And the Ravens are setting themselves up. For a scenario where your quarterback is getting so beat up every single game because he's constantly running the ball, which to some extent I think could be some of the the conversation we start having about Russell Wilson because he's a mobile quarterback. He's constantly on the move. He is taking hits more than uh, someone like an Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady who's older. So you wonder too many hits. So what you have to wonder is if quarterbacks start showing their age sooner like in their mid-30s, because they're just so beat up versus guys who recognize that that's not working, and they just go down like Carson Wentz. We're seeing it happen in front of our eyes. That man likes to extend plays, gets the shit kicked out of him, has not been the same since he broke his collarbone and came back. Like, you're seeing it. So you have this all-star caliber, MVP caliber quarterback last year to a guy who's not there, I think, think something's not right. I think they need to hopefully in the offseason take a look at that because this this isn't the game plan that's going to take you through the Super Bowl. It's just it's just not it. And you're asking to get your quarterback knocked out with some long-term prolonged injuries. I mean, but it's good that Lamar has a playoff victory in his record now because if he had gone 0-3 yeah. in playoff games, that there would have been a lot yeah. of record. Um you know, they made the poop jokes, whatever, on national television, which is weird. But uh, good for them. I suppose they played it off. He said it was muscle cramps. We'll, we'll see. Uh, all right. Yeah, Here's oh, Nate. Hold on. Did you, uh, did you catch all the the Romo? Was it Romo? Jim, uh, 
was it Jim Nance and Romo who did the uh, broadcast together? Yeah, I think it was with Tracy Wilson. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Go back. You got to go back and listen to it because they, I don't know how it got started, but they just, they had a running gag the entire broadcast where it was just the tip. Jeez. Yeah. It was, it was kind of funny because some of the ones that were working in there were, were, were pretty good, but anyway. <laughs> but the um, FCC is like, hello. Yeah. Quick rating on this beer. Uh, again, lager, apple puree, and cinnamon, because I didn't give you guys earlier. This shit's delicious. Decadent has always made, like, super sweet, um, it's the trend of the night, decadent beers. Yeah, it's uh, an automated beer. Yeah. I'm gonna give you uh I'm gonna give you a, a solid four one on this. I've never had a flavored lager before. Uh and this thing is not only very, very light, but it's super smooth, which is not something you would expect from a beer made with apple pie and cinnamon. Uh but the fact that it's a lager keeps it nice and crisp. It's a, a crispy boy, quote unquote. It just happens to taste like an apple pie with cinnamon. Uh this shit's amazing. Um <laughs> Well, my mind right now. Uh, it, it looks like a. It's it's not, it's not like, like an amber lager. It looks like. Yeah, it's it's definitely it's it's more opaque than normal, but this shit is phenomenal. I I grabbed it because I thought it was a sour with apple pie puree and cinnamon. Uh, or sorry, not apple pie puree, apple puree and cinnamon. And when I got home and cracked it open, I poured it out and I took a sip. I was like. I'm missing the sour. I looked at the can again and saw it was a lager. So, um, cheers. 4-1 for this bad boy. 4-1. There you go. <laughs> and to new beginnings. That's right. Congratulations. New beginning. Yeah, yeah. All right, Sam. Carry on. Mm-hmm. Bear Saints. I don't need to take too much time about this. Uh, I said Saints by two field goals. But let's be honest. The Bears showed up. That's what they did. They showed up. They gave it the good old college try. Okay? Uh, this game was simulcast on Nickelodeon where they put SpongeBob's face in between the field goal uprights. And when teams scored a touchdown, the end zone was a whole bunch of pixelation and slime that was coming out of it. And that was about <laughs> the most interesting thing that could have happened to the Bears all game because they scored nine points. And six of those points came on a meaningless Jimmy Graham touchdown who didn't have a revenge game. With zero seconds left on the clock. Like this, this was... Another one of those games where the Saints could have won handily and did not need to play their starters for multiple minutes in this game, but they did. Monsters of the Midway. No sacks on Drew Brees. Alvin Kamara, 100 yards rushing. Touchdown. Had another 30 yards in the, in the passing game. Could not really be neutralized. Michael Thomas. You want to know a stat that doesn't matter? Everyone who's played fantasy and who drafted Michael Thomas this year, is watching this game furious. That man caught his first, first receiving touchdown of the 2020 NFL season in the wild card playoff game. The first touchdown all season. Absolutely insane. Insane. Guess who had him in two teams? Uh, that probably, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I had him in one team. You got you to gotta roll the dice. Um, Look, we've never been high on Mr. Trubisky, but let me tell you who is Nickelodeon. He was named the MVP, Nickelodeon's most valuable player for this game, and he had 199 yards in one touchdown. So, 
if that's what you have to do to get the Y7 audience to go ahead and give you MVP, good luck to you. But thankfully, most NFL executives don't rely on Nickelodeon ratings for quarterbacks. They rely on on the field stats. Um, wow. If you like the idea of super car, super wild card weekend, where you had three games on Saturday, three games on Sunday, you're happy the Bears made it there. If you're a Bears fan, you're happy they made it to the postseason. If you're a fan of actual football, you realize that like the next time you throw the number seven seed in there, they need to be above 500 because that team just got work. And there was never a point where the Saints, I felt, were doing anything except taking every play in their book. They wanted to use it a game this season and didn't get a chance to. And they're like, oh, let's throw this out there. And they all stick. It was (laughs) just being honest. The Bears showed up. They gave it a college try. They scored nine points against the Nine. Was that worth it? Was that worth it for you to go to the Big Easy and like have a team not even get out of second or third gear and score 20 points on you? I don't think it was. I mean, good, awesome for the Bears. You made the postseason, but like this doesn't help you. Like the entire time, I'm just thinking with Mitch Trubisky, like put foals in, put foals in, put foals in. This is where you need to put foals in. No, he just sits on the sideline. Taysom Hill. We had a possible Taysom Hill injury scare when he got rolled up on. He's fine. He went back out there and he was rushing and doing some things. But Sean Payton, it's the Bears. You could have put James Winston out there and you would have won this game. Even by tossing them a touchdown, you would have won this game. So I hope that doesn't come back to bite them. But I, I, I've been saying for a few weeks now, like the Saints are one of those teams that is making a serious run for the Super Bowl because they probably realize the chips are stacked against them from here on out. And you're seeing it. And I, I completely agree with it. But I don't agree with leaving your star players for 40 minutes. Like, it just, it just doesn't make sense to me. After the third quarter, Kamara needs to be in street clothes. Drew Brees needs to be in street clothes. Jason Hill needs to get a meaningful quarterback snaps. Or maybe, you know, Jameis Winston. Like, Michael Thomas, thanks for getting your first touchdown. Go catch some slam passes. And, you know, you get a couple of tackles on you. Like, there was no point in this game where the Saints needed to trot their starters out there for a full quarter. It just didn't occur any time in that game. The Bears kicked one field goal to start the, the game and then do nothing for half the game. They, and they scored a touchdown, which Saints were probably in prevent and were going to allow them to score that touchdown anyways. That's a bad idea. Just rest your players. You need them for next week. So. Good luck with that. I hope that there's no injury report like this week that like really damns you because you kept them out there against the Bears. <laughs> I'm going to tell you in a second why you don't do that. <clears throat> buckle One second your... has passed, sir. Tell us. Yeah. Buckle your seat, kids. Steelers and Browns was some of the craziest shit i've seen and if this happened in 2020 you would have just said yeah that's because it's 2020 but it's not it's 2021 new year new life new world all that nonsense uh also also a new make new baker mayfield which i gotta take gotta take a second here i have to hit my cap Take my hat off, eat it, eat my shoe, eat crow, <laughs> whatever I'm supposed to do to rescind uh, 
on all of the the negative talk I've had so far. To an extent, to an extent, you can go back a couple weeks on record, recorded. I said the week before the the Steelers lost the game. I think they're primed for a loss here, and I think once that loss happens, what you're going to see is a little bit of a trend and maybe a couple losses that are going to happen. And I'm not saying that to toot my own horn, but the writing was there on the wall. That is exactly how that happened because from that point on, yeah, because from that point on, they lost some games. They 100% should have won. Is this one of those games? I don't necessarily think that the Browns are just a pushover team. Obviously, they've shown that they've been able to play some quality football. They've shown that they've been able to come in, play against some quality teams, and win games. This was just a beast of a different animal altogether. And this one, I have a really, really hard time not putting solely on the shoulders of Ben Roethlisberger. He threw four interceptions. He had four of the five turnovers the Browns forced on his own. You could make a case that two of those were tipped balls that were like fantastic catches that should have happened. But he led the league in batted passes at the line, and that did not change at all. Like he had a pick that was batted at the line again, was scooped up by uh, one of the linemen. I mean, this was just an ugly game. But the reason you don't sit your starters is also because of this game. So the Bears, uh, sorry, the Browns rushed to a 28 nothing lead in the first quarter. Like, I didn't watch this game from the start. I knew I wanted to watch it. I cleared my schedule, had all my shit out of the way, sat down, turned it on uh, at the very end final like 30 seconds of the first quarter and i turned it on and thought i had accidentally missed the game and i skipped ahead on my dvr yeah like, oh my god was this the four o'clock game what happened and then i saw it was the end of the first quarter it's like holy shit what is going on here it was 28 to nothing and then i watched they scored another touchdown in the second quarter the steelers struggled to move the ball around i mean the browns defense was phenomenal ben this is a, just a bizarre game when you break it down to statistics, right? Baker Mayfield threw three touchdowns, he had 21 completions, and he had 34 attempts. And they won this game 48-37. Ben Roethlisberger threw the ball 68 times and completed 47 of those passes and had 501 yards and four touchdowns and they came up short because and again this is why you don't sit your starters all of that came in the third and fourth quarter before that they had scored a touchdown and a field goal and they looked like a disaster they turned it on tried to do their best to to come back and uh and win the game and i actually thought going into the fourth quarter oh shit they're about to win this game unfortunately came up short because baker and the browns put up another 13 points in the fourth quarter but in the third quarter they scored nothing but the fact that ben 
continue to turn the ball over just killed them. It was there was no coming back from it. There was nothing you can do. The percentage for an onside kick now because the the line can't move until the ball is kicked. Uh, it, it's like four percent. So when they had to get two of those in the last four minutes of the game, you knew okay, there's there's no chance that this is going to happen. But before that. There was a solid chance that they were going to come back and win this game. So, I mean, if we look back at the the Browns and and, and the Saints, if you if if the or sorry the Saints and the Bears, if the Bears suddenly turned it on and you had already taken the foot off the gas, you could have been in trouble. That's why you don't. That's why you don't rest anybody in the playoffs. You just got to push through them. But this game was like the tale of two halves when it comes to the Steelers. Neither half looked particularly great for Pittsburgh. Because every time they got something going, they coughed the ball up. Uh, but I, if anybody told me the Browns are going to put up 48 points on the Steelers while also allowing 37, most of which came in the second half, uh, I would have called you crazy. I actually thought the Browns were going to get somewhat steamrolled, if not you know, beaten by 10 points in this game to see. And it's poetic justice because Juju is still doing stupid Juju things. It's starting to spread. Like, he, 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 after said, the loss, he said, they're just nameless faces to me in the grade. The Browns are going to Browns. Okay. Yeah. And it's spread because then after that, you had James Connors come out and say, oh, it's fine. They're going to get clapped next week. First of all, that's the uh, worst Chase take. Claypool said that. All right, Claypool. Sorry, sorry. Uh, it's the worst take ever. You lost. So it doesn't matter what happens to the team when they move on after the fact. You lost. You you got, you got pretty much got your ass kicked, and you fought your way back into it in the second half, in which if this were in the middle of the season, this is where Sam would say, well, it's because the Browns took their foot off the gas. And- <laughs> No, it's because the Steelers got their shit together and just happened to be too little, too late because you too gave up twenty late, yeah. in the first half in the in the first quarter alone. Um, so, I mean, it's just a bizarre take for for Claypool, but this was not one I saw coming. Um, I think this is going to be like a confidence booster, but I hope it doesn't like overcompensate because I saw. The Browns out celebrating, doing their shit. I saw them doing TikTok dances, uh, you know, in the locker room afterwards. Hopefully, they can kind of curb some of that enthusiasm and ride the momentum versus celebrating like you won the Super Bowl because you have a big, big road in front of you. In your next game, it will probably be the biggest challenge you've had of the entire season. So, hopefully... They shake it off, can say, okay, cool, we're good, let's go, let's focus and get ready for Kansas City because Kansas City is not, uh, it's not the Steelers. That dude is not Ben Roethlisberger. So you got some shit to do. If they make it through Kansas City, you got to start wondering if this is the team to be paying attention to for the rest of the season. The storyline's there. The players are there. We'll see what happens. But if any of you guys predicted this high-scoring game, that blowout win, well, not a – I mean, I guess it wasn't a blowout win. They, they, it, on paper, it looks like they barely squeaked this out. 
But if any of you guys said, oh, I called this, I knew this was going to happen, you're full of shit, I'm not buying it, let's move on to next week. <laughs> uh, I love that that's just you shirking your responsibility to go ahead and give the Browns credit. But <clears throat> All right, so... No, no I, I, I give the Browns credit. Like I just said, I said I think if they get through Kansas City, I think they're the team to watch going to the Super Bowl. Like oh, I, you, oh, you said if they get to Kansas City, even though they beat a, a team that was eleven and zero, they were eleven and zero, and then they were not the same team after their first loss. We can agree on that, right? Mm-hmm. We certainly can. Okay. So we certainly can. It's not. It's not. It's not the same matchup when you were looking at a team who is coming off of a week's rest because you know they actually made it to where they were supposed to be, and. They were the Super Bowl favorites coming into this. You're taking the, all my fire for, for next week's prediction. So just all right, I'll back it down. Off. Pipe down. Yeah. Patrick really? O'Cronin. Pipe down. All right. All right. That that was Super Wild Card Weekend. Now let's get into second week of the playoffs. The division round of the playoffs. Arguably what most people call the best weekend of football. Got teams that are really trying to get out there. You're going to see them striving to get to the conference championships to play in the Super Bowl on Saturday. That little LA Rams versus Green Bay Packers. 4.35 on Saturday on Fox. You have a number one offense versus like a number one, number two defense. The edge usually in that case goes to the defense. I want to give the edge to the Rams here, okay? They just destroyed my beloved Seahawks. And they're playing the Packers. But I got to be honest, Rodgers and Devontae Adams are a level above Jekyll Metcalf, Russell, Carrington Wilson at this point in their careers. Okay? That's just what it is. The Rams have Aaron Donald, who's not practicing right now because he has a rib injury. Cooper Cup, non-contact knee injury that he's rehabbing from. Their left guard, David Edwards. And like you said, their quarterback, their starting quarterback, because Jared Goff had thumb ter- surgery, their starting quarterback has a neck stinger, and he's probably not going to play. All of those things together, all those players were playing, that would work in the Rams' favor to go against the Packers and go power for power, unfortunately. Jalen Ramsey can, can cover Devontae Adams all day long. I'm not convinced that Devontae Adams doesn't score a touchdown and have 100 yards on Jalen Ramsey. I'm just not. There has been no one this season to be able to shut down Devontae Adams. I don't think it's going to happen this week. And because of that, and they're really a healthy team going into this, this round of the playoffs, I do believe that the, the Rams are either ass handed to them by the Green Bay Packers. I think the Packers win this game by a country mile. I, I, and I don't mean like 14 points. I, I, I mean like 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, maybe even like three touchdowns. Like, there has been so much talk about Rodgers' decline or the offense is not doing anything, the defense is good enough. Like, If there is time for a statement game, it's probably going to be here because the Packers desperately want to tell everyone that that game against the San Francisco 49ers and the NFC Championship game last year didn't exist. They're going to put something forward on tape that erases that game, and that's what's going to happen here. If I had to guess, like Packers 35 or 38, Rams like 50, 
Wow. So here's a here's a fun little fact. Uh, Green Bay ranks uh, first in the league in scoring. You know who ranks first in the league uh, in points allowed per game? Probably the Rams. Mm-hmm. So this one might not shape up to be as impressive. I think it's going to depend on that injury report. Because we may or may not have a big dude. Even if Jared Goff was to come back and play this game, even if Aaron Donald was to play part of this game, which he didn't play the majority of the game against the Seahawks with a rib injury, I don't see it happening. Aaron Donald's who I'm talking about because Aaron Donald is a dude that makes you change your game plan because he's that guy who's, you know, punching you in the face when you're trying to figure out your game plan. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see what happens. Um all right, I got the the Ravens and the Bills for this one. Um, I I'm, I'm not even going to take too much time on this one. I think the Bills are just a machine right now. Who are they know what they're doing? They know what their game plan is, and they're finding ways to just come out and execute it, regardless of who's on the other side of the ball. Um, Buffalo is 16th in points allowed per game. Um, they average. 23 points, 23 and a half points per game. Uh, points scored per game for Baltimore is only averaging about 29 points, so that differential is not that high. Uh, but Buffalo is second in the league when it comes to points scored. Um, Baltimore, their defense, they've been great. Uh, they only average about 18 points allowed per game. They're second in the league. But Baltimore, I mean, but but Buffalo is just a juggernaut right now, and I think. If you can find a way to just slow down Lamar Jackson even a little bit, uh, that's going to be enough to to run away with this game. I think uh, I think Baltimore's last game was more of a shortcoming on the Titans' side of the ball. I think their defense, or they didn't have a good enough game plan to stop Lamar, or at least keep Lamar in check. Um, they kept all the other running backs in check. Almost, you know, nobody else was able to move the ball. Um, I think the Bills are going to come in. They're going to have a little bit better luck shorting up that end, forcing him to go through the middle, being able to make stops and having to rely on his arm a little bit more. And if you're going to go in that kind of matchup against uh, against the Bills, you got to come correct because I don't think Josh Allen is going to have another – I don't think he's going to have a slow game against the Ravens. I think he's going to find ways – to move the ball around. I don't think this is going to be a big explosive game. I think this one's going to come down to like a 20 to 10, a 20 to 13, but I do think the Bills are going to take this one. I would agree. I would agree. All right. Then on Sunday, we have the Cleveland Browns at the number six seed, facing the number one seed, well-rested Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, you said if the Browns are able to uh, get through Kansas City, then we need to start paying attention to them. The Browns mm-hmm. made it here. But to be honest, we're forgetting that the Kansas City Chiefs had a hot period of like 13 weeks and then cooled off for like the last four. Yep. Um, that being said, I don't necessarily want to pick against Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, <laughs> Clyde Edwards Hilaire, and, and Patrick Mahomes. I, I just don't. I, I have no intent to do that whatsoever. I applaud the Browns for doing exactly what a division opponent would do, which is I'm tired of losing to big brother. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask big brother to come in because I have a secret to tell him and I'm going to punch him square in the mouth. And then when he's shocked that I punched him square in the mouth, I'm just going to run the score at one. The minute that the Steelers gave up that 
botched snap that was returned for a touchdown. I got Super Bowl 43 vibes, like when Seattle did it to Denver. And I thought to myself, okay, this will keep going. And then Ben threw a pick next drive. And then another pick. And I was just like, holy shit, I think, I think the Browns have a chance here. And the Browns said, we're going to keep going. We're going we're to keep our foot on your throat, and we're not coming off of it. And we're just going to keep going because this is what we need to do. That's good against a team in the division who, like you said, won 11 games and put some tape out. And they could have been beat by anyone. They almost lost the, to the Ben DiNucci-like Cowboys. You, if that was a buzzsaw, you're essentially going against a steel saw now. Or if that was a pistol, you're going against a bazooka in the Kansas City Chiefs. And I understand that the Kansas City Chiefs have cooled off as of late over the past few weeks. They're still the Kansas City Chiefs. And they just had a week to rest and watch film and digest and do all kinds of practice where they don't beat up their body and they're coming into this game healthy. I would not be surprised if the Kansas City Chiefs score 50 points in this game. I really wouldn't. I really wouldn't. There's nothing that, that has been fantastic about the Browns' defense this year where they've been able to stop teams from scoring points on them. And I, I, I just wonder, because the Chiefs are always doing some funky stuff like, let's take this play from 1908, which no one has seen in 96 years, and then we'll just run it like they did last year with one of their twirl plays in the Super Bowl. Like, Eric yeah. Bieniemy, he's getting a lot of buzz as a potential head coach, and he absolutely deserves it. Like, if the Saints are trying to put all the pieces together to make a Super Bowl run, the Chiefs are saying, we're stacked. What game plan can we put on film that we never want to use again? And I just I don't see that working well for the Browns. I, they could score 50. I think they're going to score 35 or 38. I think the Chiefs win this one easily. What's funny is uh, one of the things that's not – I mean, for me, I think it depends on what route the Browns want to take. Obviously, we can see that um, Mayfield can throw the ball all over the place, as we saw in the last game. Um, but defensively, I mean, uh, sorry, uh, rushing-wise, they are third in the league in rushing yards per game. Guess where Kansas City ranks? Against the defense, twenty first against the rush. That would so, be the only thing that the Browns have to do. The Browns will have to continue yeah. to rotate um, backs in and out of the game, like you know. And, yeah, and, and they found success with it all season. Finally, fear as they've done it all season. So you give Kansas City two weeks to prepare for you. I, I think that they find a way to stop Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb from getting going. I think they'll yeah. let one go off and not the other. Sure, but if you then are focusing all your attention on the running game, you got to open up the ends or at least the middle of the field. So, like, there could be a potential here if game planned properly because uh, defensively the Browns are ninth against the rush. So it's not necessarily like the the rushing game of the Chiefs is amazing. They're 16th in the league. So – there are some ways, and we've seen some games with the Chiefs where they've played really close to teams they should have blown out, and they've had some games where they lost that they should have won. Um, I, I don't know, man. I think the, I honestly think the Browns could squeak this one out. It would, it would, it would have to be yeah. like, it would be like in, in one of the the alternate Marvel cinematic universes, maybe. If I tell you what, if 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 the Browns, uh, if the Chiefs win this game. I'll send you a four pack of this uh, of this of this beer. Well, we can put a four pack bet on because you're going to lose it because they're, they're not yeah. going to win this game. Uh, That's what we'll do. Yeah. 
Put it, put it in stone and blood. All right. Tell me uh, who you think is going between uh, Bucks and Saints. Yeah, I know. Sorry, we're carrying on long, everybody. Uh, but it's, it's not very often we get to flesh out games together. We're usually just running through them. Um, this one's an interesting one. The teams are almost identical statistically, uh, both in points per game, points allowed. There's only a few rankings different between the two of them. Um, I think this one could go either way only because of the last two matchups. I will say that Tampa is not the same team the Saints faced in week one at 100%. uh, But they're even better than they were the second time they matched up. Uh, Drew Brees hasn't quite looked as sharp as of late as he had in the first half of the season. He got a little banged up. Um, Hill came in, obviously did his thing, and now they're back and they're kind of running this weird scheme where they bring Hill in every now and again to try and run this like Tomcat style or to shake things up because he can run the ball or can throw the ball. I don't think that's going to work. I think Tampa Bay's defense is better than I think we've given them credit all season. I know we talk about like, you know, aligning the Avengers, the Infinity Stone, or whatever analogy you want to use. I actually think Kansas City's done a better job of that. They have better talent just across the board. Tampa has a lot of older guys that were so you think the Browns can be the Chiefs, but they have a lot of talent. Yeah. I'm going to love that four-pack. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to relish it. <laughs> they just smoked, smoked the Steelers. So mm-hmm. you can't just write them off. Anyway. The Ben led Cowboys. Exhibit yeah, yeah. A. The Red so Rockets, the Seattle Seahawks. Seahawks. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Seahawks. Well, the Seahawks. Yeah. Keep going. Keep going. Uh, anyway, anywho, um, I, I actually think, uh, you know, the, the matchups have leaned the Saints all season. Uh, Tom Brady has never lost three games to a team in a single season ever. Uh, I think they're going to come in with a game plan a little bit. They've looked incredibly sharp over the tail end of the season. Um, the Saints have started showing a little bit of some some gaps. I mean, they should have blown out the Bears, and while they won twenty to three, or what was it, twenty to ten, yeah. twenty to nine, that uh, should have been a much much bigger differential between those two. The Bears have looked okay in the tail end of the season, but not. Saints level. Um, I actually think Tampa's going to win this one. They got a different kind of fire. I know this could be Breeze's last season, but you got guys coming off the COVID list. They weren't able to be at practices. They were doing everything remote. They weren't able to be as physical or get in some of those reps that they would have been. Plus, I think this is kind of Tampa's storyline this this season going into the offseason. I think this is one of those things that – do I think they're going to win the – the the Super Bowl, I think they might make it there. Do I think they're going to win it? Depends on who they may go up against. But uh, I'm going to take Tampa this week over the Saints. The Saints beat them twice. I don't think they're going to beat them three times. It is very difficult to beat a team three times in a row. Hashtag Seattle Seahawks. Um, okay. Those <laughs> are our divisional round predictions. We thank you all very much for listening to this episode of the Sassamere Podcast, episode 40. It almost seems like, you know, in a way, we're going to be at episode 50 and 70 and 100. And a lot of good a lot of good sports content coming out here. NBA is back in swing. Yep. Kyrie Irving is 
not showing practice and who knows where he is. He might be in the DC multiverse somewhere. He might be making movies, might be making, you know, we got more 60 point games than we've seen in the NBA in a while. We've got teams like the Browns making their first playoff game in 26 years, having a winning record for like the first time in a long time. There's been a lot of great sports stories over this past week. That's our podcast. Very excited to talk about all. So stay tuned. Cheers, everybody.